Welcome to Be Ye Hearers. It's a podcast of St. James's Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia. Never in the year does the church's message seem to be more at odds with the world than during December. This is according to the great Episcopal preacher Fleming Rutledge, which she wrote in her most recent book about Advent. But I would go further than Rutledge to say that this Sunday, Advent 3, seems to be the most at odds. Everyone around us and many of us ourselves are singing Mary, 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 putting up Christmas trees, going to holiday parties, and we hear you brood of vipers. (laughs) And even within the church, we get this paradox. It's Gaudete Sunday. Can you say that? Gaudete? Oh, that's Latin. When we light the rose candle, and you see the beautiful roses on our altar, it's Gaudete means joy. And we hear this in Philippians and in our music this morning. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And so it seems that even the lectionary is at odds with itself. What is it? Advent has a lot in common with Lent, we know. I've preached before that at one point in church history, Advent was fully penitential, not just four weeks, but 40 days, just like Lent. Gaudete Sunday was the breather, the break from all the fasting. And now we consider Advent semi-penitential. Because really, who can handle two full-on Lents a year? (laughs) Like Lent, Advent draws us to focus simultaneously on God's reign and how we fall short of it. Hence, John the Baptist is the central figure in Advent, calling us for half the Sundays in Advent to repent, to examine ourselves and turn, go a different way, Jesus' way. We preach in Lent that we cannot get to Easter without first walking the way of the cross. And as Dr. McCard preached last week, preaching resurrection without the cross is cheap grace. Advent points us less towards Christmas and the manger than it does towards Christ's second coming, whereas the creeds both put it, he will come to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. The judgment is an uncomfortable one, a difficult one. We humans tasted the fruit of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil, and as the serpent lied to us, it makes us think that we are God because of it. But our fallen judgment, our fallen judgment lacks what God's judgment always has love and mercy. We use judgment as a weapon. God uses judgment to save. You see, the biblical term judge has a much broader meaning than the one we tend to think of. If we turn in our Bibles all the way back to the book of Judges, 
we see that judges were rulers. Not, not quite kings, that would come later. But whenever God's people got into trouble, and they did a lot, God would send them a judge to save them. Gideon or Deborah, even Samson. God would save them, this judge, through, God through the judge would save them from their external enemies and save them from themselves, the sinful ways that had weakened their communities and families from the inside that made it possible for the external enemies to come and oppress them. This judge was responsible for turning them back towards God's ways. Well, to this promise of Jesus' second coming and judgment, Philippians says, rejoice. And John the Baptist says, repent and bear fruits worthy of repentance. They are, in fact, two sides of the same coin, aren't they? A promise that is at fearful and merciful. This is the fuller, nuanced understanding of Advent, that salvation is there for us. But to appreciate it for what it is, even to see it at all, we must first be made to see and confront our sins, our shortcomings. As Fleming Rutledge writes, we can draw a line between the righteous and the unrighteous with ourselves on the good side. But she also goes on to say, fear of the judgment melts away as we see the one who has come to be our advocate and defender, the one who is on our side, who stands not against us, but for us. We are not yet at Christ's first coming, it's in a few weeks, or second coming, which is who knows when. But we are told to prepare our hearts to make him room. And I wondered, what does that mean? And the answer that came to me was to dig into the deepest of our sins, to bravely ask God's grace to reveal to us those things that perhaps only God may still be aware of so that we can confront our own worst darkness. And not just to confess, but to strike out on a new path of freedom, that path made straight for and by and to our Lord. Now, the sins most in need of addressing are our least favorites. They're the ones we avoid, the ones we get angry about, the ones we have buried so deeply we can no longer see even the mound of dirt over their grave, not even a trace of new grass. But that's the thing about sin. We might not even be aware that we're sinning. That was what a lot of people who took the course sacred ground have felt. I heard a lot over the course of this course. I had no idea, fill in the blank. I had no idea that race is a social construct used to divide and conquer peoples. That the story of the white South told itself about the war was intentionally crafted 
to avoid that sting of shame and guilt. That the end of the civil rights movement did not end Jim Crow, just made those evils change form. That the church was complicit and still benefits from racism, and that many of us have racist thoughts and actions without even recognizing them as such, myself included, and so on. After these revelations, it would be easy to feel ashamed, to wallow in it even, or to resent it. But the purpose of sacred ground, just like the purpose of all repentance, is not to shame. Shame is paralyzing and soul-crushing. No, the purpose is for us to see and turn and walk a new, humble and free path together to let God give us new life. For the chains that we put on others are the chains we put on ourselves, on our own hearts and souls. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Call it turning, call it repentance, call it conversion. It's not easy one way or the other. It can be very painful, as participants of sacred ground will tell you. And yet this, this is where we rejoice. This is where the joy of Advent arises, seeing and releasing all the stuff that is weighing us down and receiving God's mercy and forgiveness. Making an intentional choice to live differently, to see the world and ourselves differently. Forgiveness of sin as a result of conversion is a constant element of the good news. To St. James's, bearing fruits should feel familiar. After all, that is what James meant when he wrote, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We hear echoes of the, James, the letter of James in our, in our, our passages today. And so today, we will recognize these 75 people, their repentance, and their desire to walk on a new path, to bear fruit worthy of repentance. May we all be so inspired so to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Ye Hearers. For our full worship service, go to doers.org slash live. To learn more about St. James's, go to doers.org. We hope you've been touched by the Holy Spirit today. We look forward to being your companion on your spiritual journey.